Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
yes she did. We are here for the first time at a uh, Mad Tropical live. Live, yeah. Is it live or is it's, it? Memories? You know, it's live. Ask. It's a pre-record. Uh, yes. It's it's live to the bodies in the room. I mean, if they're even paying attention. But uh, like uh, Gant said, this is a pre-record. You're hearing this at noon Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, the uh, 15th. But on Wednesday, the 14th of June, and every Wednesday thereafter, uh, you can catch Yes, She Did live at Mad Tropical in, in the heart of Brooklyn, Bushwick, you know, where all the cool kids From live. the soul of Brooklyn. From my hole in Brooklyn. Yeah, 236 Troutman Street in Bush Week. We'll be there every single Wednesday uh, with our guests, with a dance party. You know what to expect from us. And from Mad Tropical, for that matter. And today, we have a very special guest. Uh, he is a historian known as the Shady Historian on TikTok, on the socials, and also the producer, director, writer of the upcoming documentary, Gay, Black, and Blue, Raid on Blues Bar, which uh, covers a, uh, to me at least, unknown story of the 1982 Blues Bar Raid. Uh, we're going to get into that in a few, but, uh, you know, until then... We're going to do what we do best, other than geeking, which is playing music. You're listening to The Face Radio.
you'll never meet my new friends. Maureen by Charday. Did you did you know right. that song is really sad? I looked into it, even though it's like super groovy. It's about her dead childhood friend. Yay. I know. I know. What a bummer. And um, we have another thing to discuss that's kind of a bummer, I guess, the way you look at it. But the way I look at it is it's a story that's being brought to light after many, many years that a lot of us queer people should be familiar with, though we're not. Uh, in September of 1982, the NYPD and perhaps others uh, raided the Blues Bar, which was located at 43rd Street, right outside of Times Square. Um, and our guest today has uh, written, directed, and produced a documentary uh, that is soon to be out uh, covering that uh, raid. It's called Gay, Black, and Blue Raid on Blues Bar. Uh, our guest, the shady historian herself, Bo Lancaster. Hi, good evening. <laughs> thanks for having, or thanks for having us. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Of course. I yes, love doing we're, this. Uh, we're uh, like we said earlier, flying by the seam of our pants. It's our first time doing this live. So, uh, I mean, you have a cocktail in hand, so I think you're, you're comfortable. Oh, I'm fine. I'm totally comfortable with this. Great. I'm, I'm an extrovert, too, so <gasps> oh, I like actually that. appreciate having aspects of a crowd. Oh, perfect. <laughs> totally. perfect. That's great. Uh, well, we are, uh, are here to discuss your documentary, which I I got to see uh, back in February at the LGBTQ Museum in Brooklyn. And, um, I mean, I was blown away just because, um, I, as a lot of queer people, you know, our, uh, our, our story kind of, or stories get lost in the sauce. And a lot of us are, you know, familiar with the more uh, 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 predominant stories like Stonewall um, or White Knight. Um, but this, uh, this story seemed to, like, get, uh, fall uh, under the rug, as it were, and um, for reasons that you do uh, discuss in the documentary. But um, could I, I mean, I just want to pick your brain as to how did you even uh, become familiar with the Blues Bar Raid? Sure. Um, I came familiar with the Blues Bar Raid back in September of 2021. I was doing my Capstone History Project, and I have always had a love for the queer bar scene, particularly here in New York City. I feel that there's much more socialization within it than, let's say, a dating app such as Grindr or Tinder. And I really wanted to dive deep into a history of a bar themselves. Um, and at the time, I was researching different histories of bars within New York City, and I came across a fascinating article that was talking about the last gay bar way, what they argued was the last gay bar way in 1982. And for me, the being a native New Yorker, I have always thought the last gay bar way to have happened in this city was in 1969 with Stonewall. Um, and for researching it, finding out that there is this other bar way that happens in September 1982, that the overwhelming majorities of this bar way themselves were queer African-American men, as well as African-American trans women, um, I just really saw myself within the story and just from continue to do the historical research for it to find out that this was something that was not properly covered by many aspects of the mainstream press, both black and white. It, for me, it really just spoke to me within those intersections between those spaces that we operate as a larger community. But when you add in those elements of race as well as class, how does it show up even more so? So... One thing I was interested in is how would you describe the symbolism of when the scene where you're on the laptop 
in front of that. Could you go into that a little bit just to describe? Um, so, yeah, so the symbolism for some of the B-roll that we shot um, back in, I think that was either July or August. You know how sometimes you have those really hot days in New York, but you can't really send, figure out which month it is because um, it's just all hot, particularly with climate change. They blend together. They, they do blend together, right? Um, and so we decided to shoot the B-roll directly in front of the NYPD archives themselves on 42nd Street because I wanted that larger representation on how you know, people who identify within me are oftentimes not found within the archives. If, you know, from the rut cut of the film itself, whenever I'm in the B-roll for certain locations within New York City, all the locations, you don't really see me, you see me apart from it. So, like, the ward of Historia, I'm not in it. NYPD, NYPL, I'm not in it. But I am in the streets of Times Square because that's really the representation for people at that time. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was intentional with it. Thank you for for picking up on that. Yeah, no, no, no. That was I. I really find that to be again so many aspects of this documentary that were really, really um, just eye opening and uh, intriguing. Um, such as the uh, the fact that uh, the location of this bar was across the street from what was the New York Times uh, headquarters, um, and the fact that the New York Times didn't even cover this raid uh, back in uh, September of '82. Um, do you, do you kind of see these parallels happening today? Kind of this past Pride, I feel we've seen a lot of uh, larger organizations, even the White House that came out, I guess, today. They uh, took down a picture of a trans woman um, at the uh, White House's uh, Pride celebration because some right-wing people were upset with her uh, her clothing choices or lack thereof. Um, but uh, do, you, do you kind of see this kind of through line um, with uh, what happened in, in 82 and kind of just the culture of, uh, of uh, uh, heteronormativity and homophobia in the uh, mainstream news and uh, overall, I guess, mainstream cycle of things? Well, that's a really good question. I think, you know, the aspects of where the New York Times was in 1982 in direct facilities to the Blues Bar as well as the larger um, BIPOC queer scene that was operating within Times Square during this time period... um, the classifications as well the identification for the queer community at this time and even within the relations of um, a sense of heritage normativity is not exactly the same as today. But the aspects of um, respects are still there in different elements, as you can see from today and from back then. So it is really not too much of a surprise that the New York Times never covered the raid itself. Um, they did cover the protests, but they just barely covered it. <laughs> It speaks to a larger history within the Times that is deeply problematic, particularly in the 1980s in relation to queer identities. Um, it becomes much more seen later on within the decade. But in relations to how things are seen today, I feel that there has been arguably a sense of a mainstreaming of queer identities and what that looks like. And that mainstreaming also comes into this larger, arguable sense of... Um, a kind of commercialization of those identities, you know? So TD Bank can now do pride, right? And that's just a big thing for it. I saw that. Uh, (laughs) What people, what listeners don't know is I have a TD Bank rainbow pride little thing that I got at Queen's Pride, which is actually quite cute. I was going to say gay people bank too. 
Yeah. So it's it's this larger sense of um, a commercialization within it. As long as you follow the rules, as long as you have this certain sense of respectability politics or respectability appearance, then you too can be in these spaces. But the moment that you go against what that looks like is a moment that we want to kick you out of those spaces. And I think when we study the larger history of queerdom, um, that's not necessarily what we represent. So I feel that there had been advancements for some elements of the movement, but those elements of the movement tend to be leading much more in the direction of white and cis um, and wealthy. Um, and I don't know, that this, that that's very interesting in relation to that. So, yes. A lot of I'll, that seems very, the question. seems very convenient and marketable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's convenient and markable. That's that's the thing is, as long as it's markable, as long as it's something that can be a product that you can plow, you know, then it's fine. It kind of reminds me of as a kid, I would grow up and I would see these McDonald commercials for Martin Luther King Day. You know, it's um, right. Happy birthday, Grimace. Exactly. So it's, it's this it's this larger sense. It's this larger sense to some degree of um, a commercialization of it. So I don't, I mean, there are, there are some who argue that that also gives a larger amount of visibility, um, which, you know, has its benefits to it. I think I would have, you know, liked to be a 12-year-old closeted um, boy in the South Bronx, and I would have liked to see something from TD Bank or another bank at that time. Um, so I do think that that does have a certain sense of power to it. But at the same time, I wonder are we really falling within those same historical landmarks for what it originally meant to some degree? Um, and I don't know. Those, those things are greatly debatable, particularly when you look at the history of our community. And uh, kind of, I guess, in that direction of debatable, uh, I know that you are, a uh, aside from a, a director and historian, you're also now a professor, um, and you're you're t- you're teaching the children, and um, oh I'm, boy, oh yeah. <laughs> do you do you find this younger generation of queer people um, receptive to these um, to these stories of the past generations? And do you feel like they're really doing anything with these stories? Uh, that's a really excellent question. I I think that there are there are layers there. Are, their um, identity and their struggle within heteronormativity is going to be different than ours, no different than the generation that previously came before me, and how their struggles are different than mine. You know, a lot of my work, I interview a lot of members of the silent generation as well as baby boomers. And for the homophobia that they had to experience during their time period is totally different than mine. So the skill sets that I had to operate under are totally different. Um, Some of those things are transferable. And I see a very similar thing coming in relation to the previous generation, or this new generation, excuse me. That oftentimes... The Gen Zers. uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that oftentimes, you know, work with. I see that there is, depending on where your geographical location is, depending on where you are, um, there's much more openness to having a range of different sexual identities or different gender identities as well. But that doesn't mean that it's necessary easier for them, just like it wasn't easier for me compared to someone who is a part of the baby boomer generation. There might be elements that might be easier, but it's still very much the same story. 
in relation to that aspect of history, there is a sense of excitement. Um, in the previous semester that I done, I taught, a, I teach a course on um, New York City history. So some of the things that we went over for this course, we started to go over some of um, Eric Marcus' work within his podcast for Making oh, Gay History. I absolutely love Eric Marcus. Uh, listeners, if you haven't yet, uh, check out Eric Mar- uh, Marcus's podcast, Making Gay History wherever you can find it. It is such a fantastic resource. Yeah. And he's also a super, super sweet guy. Um, and I would, you know, give out these different assignments where my students would listen to these episodes um, to really get a different sense of New York City history um, for a good chunk of those episodes. And there was an openness and there was a connection that they were making between the past and today. I think there is a dismissiveness of Generation Z um, which always when I hear millennials who are part of my segment in my generation, I'm 35, whenever I hear them dismiss Generation Z in the workplace, I'm like, guys, Generation X was doing that to us 10 years ago. Like, what kind of weird bullying mentality is going on here? <laughs> well, I, would, I, would, I would argue that, uh, sadly, our millennial generation grew up with uh, the Lindsay Lohan Mean Girls oh, kind God. of, I know, yeah, and it yeah. infiltrated its way into, uh, <laughs> into what our zeitgeist was, which was very different from, from Gen X, sadly. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, but I do, I was going to say, I agree with you. I'm, I'm excited to see the Gen Zers having a bit more... Um, I don't know, sparkle when it comes to the past than, mm-hmm. say, our, our, uh, our uh, younger millennials uh, do. Um, what, do you, what do you hope that this, uh, this documentary um, really brings about? Like, uh, what do you hope to affect? Um, I hope that it really begins a conversation start. I think that what I see it as starting is really a conversation in relation to two things. Um, or a couple of things, but really, well, two things are a couple of things. I'm sorry, listeners. That is the effect of the cartel <laughs> that I'm having. Um, the first thing that I really wanted to highlight is that there is this larger history that happens between 1969 and Stonewall, which is oftentimes seen as the direct relation of the beginning of our movement, mm-hmm. even though that is not fully historically accurate, but it's oftentimes seen as that within the modern era and within, let's say, the late 1980s in relation to at the demonstrations, right? There is this whole range of history that is happening. And I want to first highlight that because that within itself is a large sense of eraser, but particularly also highlight some of the history within BIPOC queer communities itself. And we're going to start talking about that, really talking about African-American men or African-American people within that segment who occupied this time period. What were their history like? What were their lives like? How did they live? How did they breathe? Where did they go for entertainment? Um, and really bring forth their voices from the archives itself. To me, to really start that conversation, to really give this sense of where they were, that to me is the most beautiful part of it. And if someone can watch that who might be, and it could be anyone, but ideally like a young kid of color from that generation that we mentioned before, Generation Z, um, and they could see themselves within the archives themselves via these experiences, then to me that, that what really makes it worth it at the end of the day. So that's a larger portion of it. I mean, in relations to what the victims or, I mean, I'm still doing research to track down some of the victims. They might still be alive. I don't know what that looks like for them, that sense of um, justice. I'm not really exactly sure. That's something that they can only speak to if they are still alive with us. Well, I think it's interesting because 
what you're doing is providing this window into the past of New York City. And you're a native New Yorker, I mean, but for those of us who came later, I got to New York in 91, you know, so... That counts. It, it looks You've like been a, here long enough. Well, off and on. I, I was away for nine years. That's a long story for another day. <laughs> but uh, just seeing New York back in the day, anytime it's like a retro New York Instagram or whatever, you know, you, it looks like it's, it's like a distant like world. It's like, oh, wait, they didn't have this. They didn't have this. It was sketchy. Uh, people were getting killed. All the, all, you know, the South Bronx was on fire. You know, there's all these, mm-hmm. you know, like on the get down, there's all these stories and fables of like, you know, Cool Herc and all these, you know, you know Grandmaster Flash and the origins of hip hop and mm-hmm. things like that and how that intersected with disco and all that. But you're providing that window. And as a conversation started, that's excellent. I, I think you. it, like Gant said, kind of helps paint a more uh, detailed picture of our queer past um, for a lot of us who are kind of stuck in that hole of Stonewall, Studio 54, Paradise Garage. That's all there was, folks. Uh, but you're really, you're helping um, bring to light uh, another chapter of our history. Um, and uh, I think that's a fabulous, fabulous thing. Um, you're also uh, hopefully getting a Kickstarter up so we can start raising funds for this. Um, so listeners at home, keep your eyes peeled because Yes, She Did will be letting you know as soon as this thing is live. Um, it's been in the works for a while now as fundraisers it often has. are. Oh, my God. Um, that has been a, a little epic journey within itself. Um, which seems to be finally coming at and and this is no no bad word to kickstart themselves. It is much more of an aspect within um so any of you who are listening who have been teachers before, you understand that there is the beginning of the semester and then there's at the end of the semester when you get your life and your personality back. So this is one of those <laughs> things that I have been working on in the beginning of the semester and then I have cycled back around to it really officially at the end. So it should be up and running at the end of June, um, which is actually not a bad idea to have this type of program running itself. Um, and it will have a little trailer as well as there will be links to a couple of the articles um, that have focused on it. There's a Washington Post op-ed that I wrote last year. Um, so it should be some further information in relation to it. So, yes. Coming soon. Coming soon. And uh, for all of our listeners on the socials, that's all of you, uh, you can follow Bo uh, at the Shady Historian 101 Am I correct in, in that? Did I just totally murder it? Um, with this drink, it still sounds it's, like that. So, yeah, it that sounds, sounds right? Sounds that right? sounds right. That yeah, should the be shady, it. So, so the shady hist 101. Uh, Let me double check that's, my that's, that's the way it sounds. Actually, that's the way it's written right here. You know, kids, sometimes I take my notes out before You're the right. show. And then other times, I just uh, let go and let God. Um, but I want to let Bo go uh, back to his cocktail. And um, <laughs> we'll get back to the music here on Yes, She Did. Uh, Bo Lancaster, thank you so much for joining us on our very first Yes, She Did Live at Metropical. Um, and uh, we hope to see you again soon and uh, wish you all the best of luck with thank getting the funds raised for, for this fabulous documentary. Thank you so much for inviting me over. This is actually my first time in this bar, and it is an awesome bar. It really is quite lovely. This is a perfect bar for Pride. I'm just putting that out there for all the people. 
You're listening to The Face Radio.
You got to have a chance. 
Second lights. 
from the soul of Brooklyn. You're listening to The Face Radio.
in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
wicked, the rhyme it is wicked. Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted. A woman could bear you, break you, take you. Now it's time to rhyme. Can you relate to a sister's open up to make you holler and scream? Hey, yo, let me take it from here, queen. Excuse me, but I think I'm about to to get into precisely what I am about to do. I'm conversating to the folks who have no whatsoever clue. So listen very carefully as I break it down for you. Merrily, 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 high to happy overjoyed. Please, with all the beats around, my sisters have employed. Look at me throwing down the sound totally a yes. Let me state the position. Ladies first, yes. Take your 
I believe Amen. in that song. Can you? Okay, so. Jake Shears, y'all. Jake Shears. On the Shears. ride and that Kyle I just Minogue. did in California, that song powered me through all 550 miles. Girl, <laughs> just thank girl. you, it Kylie, is. and thank you, yes. Jake Shears. Props and praises, as Greg J would say. Yes. So our also props and praises. Yes, our guest. Well, well, a surprise guest later yes. today, tonight, T- right for now t- for tomorrow. Yes, is so our resident chef, also known as the Frolicking Gourmet. And or Miss Chicken presents. And or Miss Chicken presents if you eat meat. Hello. <laughs> Let, let's, or foul, let's, whatever you consider. Fa- that. Foul, foul, yeah. Foul, right. foul play. Hey. Hey. I will be here next Wednesday serving up the grub yes. with these two wonderful DJs. I am very excited. Um, the Frolicking Gourmet. Miss Chicken Presents. Um, I have no idea what I'm making, but there will be chocolate cake. There will be chocolate. Well, we know that there will be chocolate cake. Uh, right. Let them eat cake. Let them eat cake. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mary Antoinette. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, it's, it's going to be exciting. And like we said, kids at the top of the show, uh, you can join us every Wednesday uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at 236 Troutman Street in Brooklyn, IRL. Uh, you can get yourself a cute drink. You can get yourself a cute bite to eat, and you can look at our two cute mugs. That's and you right. might meet a cute I boy we here cute. at Mad Tropical. Hello, and it be Mad Tropical. Uh, yeah, we're gonna be here all Pride season, so do come join us uh, next week. Our guests are gonna be uh, Ian Sklarski. Uh, he's oh, right, the, the bee. artist and beekeeper. The beekeeper. Yes, and uh, we will Governor's also- Island. Yes, Who'd, I didn't know. He's going to bring some honey. He's going to bring some... He brings a lot. He's actually... He's quite a character. I do love Ian. He's got some great art. He's coming he's out with a new backpack. Yes, he is. It's called the Meat Rack Backpack. The Meat Rack Backpack. And he, <laughs> might, even, and he might even come in a look with his, uh, with his beekeeper look. Uh, so do come on out to 236 Troutman Street here in Brooklyn for our second installation of Yes, She Did Live at Mad Tropical. Uh, like I said, there will be eats from the Frolicking Gourmet, a.k.a. Miss Chicken Presents. Everybody pizza party. Everybody pizza party. Um, and speaking of pizza party, uh, uh, this, this gentleman actually once invited us to a pizza party. Oh, yeah, we went. We did. It was wonderful. We ate pizza. Detroit it was delicious. pizza, if De- you will. Yes, in the heart of Brooklyn. In Williamsburg. Williamsburg. It's very square. It, yeah, very, very square. Recta- it's rectangular, I think. It was Ish. deep. Dish was the word that she said, I believe. Well, I mean, she good. might have said something. I the don't remember what that place was called, but it was, it was good. It was great. Metropolitan. But John Roberts has like produced yeah. this amazing song. <laughs> that was my segue. With, uh. <laughs> with Junior Sanchez. And uh, he has this video. This music video for this song is it's fierce. She Larius with Margaret Cho. Uh, and Kit from Knight Rider. They, they rented that. Some, yeah. Yes, they got Kit from Knight Rider. And he Can dressed up it? as David Hasselhoff. I mean, it's it's great. It's great. And looks uh, like there might be danger. Yes. And that's our pride anthem all this summer long. So get into it, kids. Uh, we'll be with you next week. Do stay tuned on the Face Radio if you're listening live to an all new episode of FSQ with Chuck Do Funk live and direct from Santa Monica. Poolside vibes. Oh, yes. And uh, we'll catch you kids next week. Catch us live IRL Wednesday, 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 8 p.m. at 236 Troutman Street, 
in Brooklyn. Yes, she did. The Roger Troutman. Ro- if Roger, you will. yes, Roger Troutman Boulevard. <laughs> we'll see you next week, kids.
Chicago, where can I go? Oh, 
Because when the brother takes his stand, he tries so hard to not be cool. I have to be cool when you treat me like a fool. I really do have to be cool. What you gonna do? I love Chicago. Your mind. 